Throughout church history, the book of Romans left its mark on some great people like Augustine, John Wesley, Martin Luther, William Tyndale, and others. For example, Martin Luther said Romans is the chief part of the New Testament and the very purest gospel. Paul summarizes his case by saying, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Luther was right. Next to John 3.16, no words in the Bible do a better job of stating the purest gospel. I'm Ron Jones, and this is Something Good. It might be the most intimidating book in all the Bible. Dr. Ron Jones dives into it next on this Thursday edition of Something Good Radio. Hi, I'm Brian Davis, and today, Ron launches road trip number seven in his teaching series, Route 66, the ultimate road trip through the Bible. It begins with the book of Romans, a difficult book to read and understand, but more than worth the effort. Ron calls it the Grand Canyon of the Christian faith, something you have to see for yourself in order to fully appreciate and understand. Today's message is straight ahead. Stay with us now or visit somethinggoodradio.org to listen to any of our broadcasts on demand on your schedule. That's somethinggoodradio.org. Now let's join Ron for today's Something Good Radio message, Romans, the Christian Manifesto. Well, approaching the book of Romans on the ultimate road trip through the Bible reminds me of a Jones family vacation. Years ago, Catherine and I drove with the kids to the Grand Canyon from Phoenix, Arizona. We were in Phoenix uh, enjoying some of uh, Oh, the Major League Baseball spring training games, the Cactus League that is out there. And after a few games, we, we drove from Phoenix to the Grand Canyon. About a four-hour drive, relatively uneventful, kind of flat. But as you may know, if you've made that drive before, suddenly you come to this gaping hole in the earth known as the Grand Canyon. As canyons go... The Grand Canyon is truly grand. I mean, it lives up to its name. Nothing compares to seeing it with your own eyes. A thousand pictures of the Grand Canyon do not come close to capturing its beauty, its uh, mystery, and its elegance. And the same thing could be said about um, the New Testament book of Romans, which is the Grand Canyon of the Christian faith. Like the Grand Canyon, Romans is deep and wide and sometimes mysterious, (laughs) certain places of it are. While it challenges the strongest aspects of our stubborn intellect, it will also make us humble and weepy if we let it. John MacArthur says Romans will strip you naked and then clothe you with eternal elegance. Uh, Paul's letter to the Romans is so grand, uh, it could be called the Christian Manifesto. That's the title I've chosen for today's message. 
Now, Romans, which Paul penned near the end of his stay in Corinth, probably around 57 or 58 uh, AD, this New Testament letter has left its mark on some great people throughout church history, like Augustine, John Wesley, uh, Martin Luther famously was impacted by this letter and that phrase he found in this letter, the righteous shall live by faith. William Tyndale, and, and there are many, many others. Uh, Martin Luther, speaking of him, the, uh, this Roman Catholic monk who sparked the Protestant Reformation, he said of Romans that, quote, the chief, it is the chief part of the New Testament and the very purest gospel. John Calvin assessed the power of Romans by saying, quote, when anyone gains a knowledge of this epistle, he has an entrance to all the most hidden treasures of the scriptures. Now, Romans can be intimidating to read. It's 16 chapters. Uh, there are other books of the Bible that are longer, but Romans has its own uh, aura about it. And it's helpful to unfold the book uh, topically and, and theologically to see the big picture. There are five major sections to the book of Romans. And I've labeled each of these sections uh, with a word starting with the letter S to make it simple. But uh, chapters one through three is about sin. And Paul diagnoses the human condition. Chapters four and five are about salvation. He introduces God's remedy to the sin problem that we have. Chapters 6, 7, and 8, the key word there is sanctification. Beginning in chapter 6, he's talking to believers in Jesus Christ, and he talks about how we, how we live this thing called the Christian life. Chapters 9, 10, and 11, oh, the sovereignty of God. This is where it gets a bit mysterious and elegant at the same time. And then in chapters 12 through 16, uh, this is where Paul... Um, applies his theology, and we, we could talk about Christian service, putting this doctrine into, uh, uh, into practice there. Uh, like a view of the Grand Canyon from the South Rim, you, know, you, can, you can view it from the North Rim, but now let's go to the South Rim. Here's another way to breathe in the grandness of Romans. Chapters one through eight, Paul lays out his doctrine, and it's deep and wide. Chapters 12 through 16 is, is about our duty. How, how do we take this doctrine and live it out in Christian service and application? And then in the middle there, chapters 9 through 11, Paul waxes eloquently and dispensationally about the nation of Israel. And we're going to have to figure out how does that all fit in Romans. Let's begin in chapter 1. And Paul begins to uh, express his eagerness to preach the gospel in Rome the eternal city. And then he quickly uh, summarizes his case for the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ in chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, where he said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, in this gospel I am about to lay out for you, he says, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith as it is written. And this is something that echoes from the Old Testament, starting in the book of, Hag or in the book of Habakkuk. The righteous shall live by faith. Say that with me. The righteous shall live by faith. This was the phrase that gripped the heart of Martin Luther and changed him forever and changed the trajectory of church history beginning in the early 1500s. 
Next to John 3, 16, uh, no words in the Bible do a better job of stating the overall message of salvation than Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Now let's dig a little bit deeper into these five sections. First, um, in a section that I'll just, in a, in a broader way, label all have sinned. Like an oncologist who tells his patient that she has stage four cancer, Paul begins his formal argument of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ by diagnosing the human problem. His description of the total depravity of the human heart in chapter 1, verses 18 through 32 is sobering. He declares, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Paul argues that Gentiles are without excuse because they suppress the truth made known to them by God in creation and in their conscience. And accordingly, he argues that rejecting the knowledge of God, which is plain to see in the natural world, he says, well, that's enough to convict guilty sinners. Paul uses the haunting phrase, God gave them up three times as a way of describing what eventually happens to truth suppressors. He allows uh, the natural consequences of living without God to fall upon humans is the idea. And God gave them up, he said, to impurity, to dishonorable sexual passions, and to a debased mind. You cannot read Romans chapter 1 without pausing for a moment and realizing just what, what, a, what a difficult place we are in totally depraved and without God. In chapter 2, uh, beginning in verse 1 and going through uh, the first part of chapter 3, Paul turns his attention to the Jews, uh, making the case that they need salvation as much as Gentiles do. He argues that God's judgment is truthful. Uh, he takes deeds into consideration. He does not show favoritism, Paul says. He gives the religious person no hope of gaining God's favor based upon his personal morality and good works. Uh, Paul states without equivocation, there is no special advantage to being a Jew, especially if you're a Jew who doesn't even keep God's law, he says. He summarizes the divine verdict on all humans by saying this in chapter 3 and verse 10, there's none righteous, not even one. Let that sink in for a minute. You think you're a pretty good person compared to who? Your neighbor? Paul says, compared to God, there's none righteous, not even one. And then he says in chapter 3 and verse 23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In the medical world, if you don't diagnose the patient correctly, the, the remedy doesn't matter. You have to have a proper diagnosis of a medical condition. And, and when, the, when the news is bad, it doesn't do any good to look somebody in the face and say, you know, you just have the sniffles when you have stage four cancer. Spiritually speaking, Paul is saying in chapters one to three, apart from Christ, Stage four spiritual cancer. 
spiritual death is right around the corner. Stay with us. There's still more to come from Dr. Ron Jones, lead pastor at Atlantic Shores Baptist Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia. Listen to Ron's messages on demand on your schedule at somethinggoodradio.org. That's somethinggoodradio.org. When you stop by, be sure to check out Starting Point, A Disciple's First Steps, a free online discipleship coaching experience created by Dr. Ron Jones. Look for Something Good courses when you visit our new streaming platform at somethinggoodradio.org. That's Starting Point, A Disciple's First Steps, where you'll discover what it means to be a disciple and learn how to train others to be true followers of Christ. In Romans chapter 3, the Apostle Paul tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and that the wages of our sin is death. But there is a solution to the sin problem. Here's Ron with the second half of today's Something Good Radio message, Romans, the Christian Manifesto. Brings us to the second major section, chapters four and five, uh, justification by faith. He's talking about salvation, God's remedy. And here Paul is is equally eloquent to the typical Torah-loving Jew or the religious person. They might find Paul's statement at the end of chapter 3 and verse 28 rather stunning because Paul says, For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. To the Jewish mind listening to that, they say, well, wait a minute, we've been under the law all these years. You're saying... We're justified, made right before God, apart from the works of the law. However, this is the core of Paul's message in Romans, and he transitions his argument here to the next section of the book, which describes God's provision for humankind's sin problem. Here comes the remedy. In chapter 4, Paul illustrates justification by faith, starting with Abraham. Remember Abraham in the Old Testament? He's the father of faith, and... Paul reminds us of what the scripture says in Genesis 15 and verse 6, that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Paul also points out that Abraham was justified before he was circumcised in case anyone thought the work of circumcision might make him right with God. He drives home the point further by saying this, chapter 4 and verse 13, for the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be the heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Interesting phrase there, the righteousness of faith. What does Paul mean by the righteousness of faith? If faith is the key to us being made right with God, let's understand what, what that's all about. Is he talking about faith in faith? Is he talking about faith in the goodwill of humanity? Is he talking about faith in oneself? No, he means none of that. Uh, The faith that justifies us before God, he argues, must have the right object. And uh, in Abraham's case, his faith in God was what made him right with God, was what justified him in, 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 in the face of God. His faith in God, not his works. Now, how does Abraham's experience relate to us? Well, again, there in chapter 4, beginning in verse 23, Paul writes, But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for Abraham's sake alone, but for ours also. He says, It will be counted to us who believe in him, 
who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. In other words, faith alone, follow me here and follow Paul, faith alone in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, that's what makes us right with God. Not your morality, not your good works, because remember, there's none righteous, not even one. We are totally corrupted by sin. And it's only through faith in the right object, in the right person. Not faith in faith, not faith in yourself, not faith in the goodwill humanity of uh, your neighbor, but faith in the Lord Jesus Christ who died on the cross for your sins and was buried and uh, rose again from the dead. In chapter 5, Paul transitions to a discussion about the benefits of justification by faith, including peace with God. He talks about our access to the grace of God, uh, hope in God, strength of character. He also mentions the Holy Spirit who fills us with love and with joy. And then he brings Adam into the discussion. I mean, if this isn't you know, circling the Milky Way enough theologically, now he goes back to Genesis and he, he, he reaches for Adam. The great apostle begins by showing that death entered the world through one man's sin. Uh, that was Adam. Death was not the result of the law, he argues, but of Adam's sin. And he says all are sinners because we inherited Adam's sin nature, which theologians refer to as original sin. Think of it this way. Imagine if you ordered a laptop computer, a brand new laptop computer, shows up on your front doorstep, you bring it in, you open it up, you power it up, and you discover this brand new computer is already corrupted. The operating system is corrupted by some virus. It just arrived that way. That's the, the doctrine of original sin. We inherited a sin nature from Adam. We arrived in this world, as sweet as we are as little babies, corrupted, our, our entire operating system corrupted by a virus called sin. That's why, as the old saying is, um, we don't sin because we're sinners. No, we're not sinners because we sin. <laughs> we sin because we're sinners. Let me say it again. We're not sinners because we sinned one day. We arrived as sinners, so we, we sin because we are sinners. The operating system is corrupted. And this is what Paul argues in chapters 1 to 3 and then the remedy in chapters uh, 4 and 5 is faith in Christ. Now we come to the next section, uh, chapters 6, 7, and 8. I, I just label it alive with Christ. And in chapter 6, Paul begins speaking to and about believers in Jesus Christ. That is, those who are justified by faith alone in Jesus Christ. And he talks about how the process of sanctification takes place. That is, how we grow up to be more like Jesus. Uh, the next major section of the book, Romans 6-8, through 8, is foundational to our understanding of the spiritual life. I remember taking a course in seminary titled Spiritual Life, and we spent most of our time in Romans 6, 7, 
and eight. A friend of mine in seminary, we were, we were privileged uh, to be able to spend some personal time with Dr. Charles Ryrie, who was still in the Dallas area, and he personally tutored us uh, through Romans 6, 7, and 8, in addition to our classroom time. Uh, what, what a significant section of Scripture. And it is deep and it is wide uh, at the same time, but it is foundational to our understanding of the spiritual life. Paul talks about how believers are delivered from the mastery of sin, free to live under God's grace, victorious through the power of the Holy Spirit, but he doesn't get to that part of it until chapter 8. In chapter 6, verses 1 to 14, the words know, consider, and present, there in the text, are the keys that unlock our understanding of um, verses 1 through 14. Paul wants the believer in Christ to know he is dead to the principle of sin. He asks, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound. That's a conclusion you might come to at the end of uh, chapter 5. And uh, he responds with the strongest negation possible in the Greek language. Meganoito. By no means, he says, are we to sin so that we may get more grace. Instead, Paul argues that we know we are dead to sin but alive with Christ. And in verse uh, 11, he wants us to consider this to be true. That, that next word comes into play. He wants us to know some things that are fundamentally true of us as believers in Jesus Christ. Dead to the principle of sin, but alive to Christ. And then he says, consider this to be true. And the word consider uh, goes into the, the world of accounting. Uh, like an accountant that confidently calculates the bottom line, he says, consider this to be true. And in light of that, he says, then let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Rather, present, here's the third word, present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. Man has a sin problem, and it's worse than you might think. As Dr. Ron Jones said today, we're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. And yet, for those who have put their faith in Christ, there is no longer any condemnation, no eternal penalty for sin. This is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Blessed be His holy name. You're listening to Something Good Radio. Today's message, Romans, the Christian Manifesto, along with all of Ron's messages, can be heard on demand on your schedule at somethinggoodradio.org. Check out the Something Good digital library with more than 500 hours of Bible teaching from Dr. Ron Jones, a great help for you in your journey with Jesus. That's somethinggoodradio.org. You know, the power of prayer is undeniable. And today we'd like to pray for you. Stop by somethinggoodradio.org anytime and share your request with us. Click on Explore and then scroll down to the How Can We Pray For You option. That's somethinggoodradio.org. We also want to say thank you because your prayers and financial support make it possible for Ron to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Your donations do make a difference. And when you give a gift this month, we'll send you an ebook that goes along with this series you're hearing now. Route 66, The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible. This special resource covers all 13 of the Pauline epistles. Request your digital download today when you make a gift to Something Good Radio. 
Donate online at somethinggoodradio.org or mail your gift to P.O. Box 6245, Virginia Beach, Virginia, 23456. You can also call our offices at 757-276-1099. Do you have the Holy Spirit? If you're a true believer in Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. You got all the Holy Spirit you're ever going to get. But here's the most important question and the larger one that Paul addresses in chapter 8, verses 12 through 17. Does the Holy Spirit have you? Because <laughs> if he doesn't, if you're still living in the flesh and responding to the world, the flesh, and the devil, and just living out you know, your fleshly desires, you are quenching the Spirit, grieving the Spirit, and not experiencing the abundant life Jesus intended for you and I to live. That's next time in part two of Dr. Ron Jones' message, Romans, the Christian Manifesto. Join us then for Something Good. For Ron and the team here at Something Good Radio, I'm Brian Davis saying so long and thanks for listening.